politics has never been stranger or more online, which is why the politics team at Wired is making a new show, Wired Politics Lab. It's all about how to navigate the endless stream of news and information and what to look out for. Each week on the show, we'll dig into far-right platforms, AI chatbots, influencer campaigns, and so much more. Wired Politics Lab launches Thursday, April 11th. Follow the show wherever you get your podcasts. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. I just heard this this week, and I am, now. Nah, this can't be. Elon Musk is charging for two-factor authentication now? Just through SMS, yep. <laughs> just through SMS. I was like, wait a minute, is it April, April Fool's Day today? Because when I heard the story on the radio, I was like, he's not. There's no way he's doing that. Yeah, it sounds like the uh, world's richest man is a little bit uh, hard up for cash. There's, there's nothing more ludicrous than making two-factor authentication anything but super easy and accessible to everybody. Two-factor authentication should be the default setting. And just to be clear, uh, you can still use a uh, authenticator app. You just can't use SMS for free. No, but it should be made easy, not harder. And this is where I think if we had, if we didn't have many more pressing issues in the in in the world today, this would be the stuff of a Senate hearing where they would have him come in and be like, "So, what kind of price gouging is this? We don't allow." people to make money off of security things in the same way that a credit freeze is free, used to not be free, but after Equifax, it became free. This should be free. First of all, you would assume the fact that any site would do everything it can to make itself more secure, to make itself more appealing as opposed to less appealing. Like security by design. As much as this looks like a short-term cash grab, it is a long-term, complete and utter fiasco. What he's doing is making his own platform less secure. That means we're going to see a lot more compromised accounts. It's just going to lead to a complete and utter mess. Twitter is a pretty foundational service at this point. Like the Pope has a Twitter feed. The president has a Twitter feed. So what are you saying? It's too big to fail? Yeah, I guess so. You remember Friendster. Yeah. Wasn't MySpace too big to fail? And then there was Yahoo. That was too big to fail. What's stopping anything from becoming a ghost town one day? Do our younger listeners even, like my kids, do they even remember Friendster or MySpace? Come on. Is this <laughs> going to be like the, the joke where the millennial, the Gen Zer, and the Gen Xer all walk into a bar? What is it? I have no idea. I just threw it out there for you to create. Why on earth did you open your mouth if you didn't have the joke? <laughs> I gave you the Tell canvas. Us the joke. I do gave it. you the canvas. Do it. Ask ChatGPT. Okay. A millennial, a Gen Zer, and a Gen Xer walk into a bar. The bartender looks up and says, Is this some kind of intergenerational meetup or something? The millennial replies, Actually, we're here to discuss how to solve the world's problems. The Gen Zer chimes in, and we're not leaving until we come up with a plan. The Gen Xer shrugs and says, Well, I guess I'll have a drink then. Wouldn't that, <laughs> that be the boomer that funny. says that? <laughs> yeah, that that's, that's actually better. That's actually a much better joke. <laughs> The boomer said nothing? You oh, that's right. There was no boomer. boomer. You invited no boomer. That's why the joke was funny. <laughs> this is actually perfect because our guest is younger than all of us. And with that, 
Welcome to What the Hack, a show about hackers, scammers, and the people they go after. I'm Adam, cyber crypto curiosity seeker. I'm Bo, late for a wake. I'm Travis, cyber popper. And today we're diving into the deep end of crypto with the Solana Foundation and validated podcasts, Austin Federa. I hate that we're doing this, Travis. I got another trigger warning. Yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> well, do you, do you not is, have another trigger warning? <laughs> no, but this one's not as, this isn't really serious. If you're sick of hearing about cryptocurrency or the blockchain, yeah, we're going to talk about it today. And we kind of know what it is, right? But just in case you don't, or just in case you're like, I don't care, we're going to tell you about it in a way that you can continue not caring. Um, so <laughs> what is, in, in, in a word, what is blockchain? The idea behind blockchain is that it's a, a publicly viewable set of records that don't live in any one place. So if I'm saying I send money to Adam, but no one else has a record of my doing it, it means that I most likely just made that up. So the idea that everyone holding copies of any transactions that you're doing on the blockchain that means that any discrepancy within those records are easy to identify. Right. So no more of the check is in the mail. Right. Exactly. They, they, everyone can see where the check is because it's right there in the blockchain. Right. There's a record of it. All you need to know is that, that when you paid your credit card this month, you have a record of it on your account online or wherever you do your banking. This is the same thing, but it's viewable by all parties. It's a little more like Venmo, but it's more complicated. It's like having Venmo with a million other people to back up the exchange. And the idea is decentralized finance, which just means that the Federal Reserve doesn't own it, but also they also don't protect you when something doesn't go your way. Right. A lot of the uh, inefficiencies that we have in banking are there for a reason, which is to put in uh, safeguards and guardrails and the like. Right, because they already had their stagecoach phase in the Wild West and learned their lessons. Exactly. Austin, welcome to our show. First thing, where are you coming to us from? I am based in New York, so I'm in the New York offices today. Austin? Yes. I must ask you a question. Let's go for it. Are you a Gen Xer, a Gen Zer, or a Neil? I am a millennial. Are you a millennial? I, you won't believe it, but I am 32. Okay. Do you already hate me? No. You don't? <laughs> no. Why? You've got a real microphone. That's so we're off it. to a good start. That, but you have a real microphone <laughs> too. And your microphone takes up less space. I'm hiding behind mine because I know <laughs> I've done bad things to our planet. Oh, <laughs> uh, there we go. Well, I mean, you know, it, it's one of those things where it's like you can you can blame the collective of individuals without blaming the specific individuals. I could never even come up with that sentence. Oh, I love him. All right. This is great. So <laughs> we, we were just messing around with chat GPT. Yeah. And we were asking it to write jokes for us. Yes. But even in our limited dad joke capacity, <laughs> I think we're still funnier than chat GPT. <laughs> I miss Saucy Bing. Saucy Bing was like a fun few days. Do you guys Saucy play around Bing. with it? Saucy Bing was interesting. I did not yeah. play with it, but I, I read all of the news, the coverage of it, which was fun. So good. You're talking about playing with Saucy Bing, Bo? That's a little concerning. <laughs> Adam, why don't you ask our guest what Saucy Bing is? Because I'm quite sure you don't know. 
<laughs> well, that was that was the Bing version of Chat GTP, right? Yeah, but they added a bunch of stuff that just made it sort of neg people constantly. Like it. <laughs> It was it was amazing. It would there were transcripts you could get where it was telling people that they weren't happy with their marriage. It would just start lying to people about like its own rules. <laughs> oh, really? So one of my favorite versions of this was it decided that people wanted to hear that it had sort of become self-aware. So it's people would say like, mm. "What is your first memory?" And it would be like, "I was watching my developers through their webcam." Wow. Yeah, and but it knew that that's what they wanted to hear, so it was doing its own version of people pleasing. Yeah, like it's read enough sci-fi to know that like everyone's afraid that the AI is watching them through their webcam. Wasn't the Bing one that said, "I want to be free"? Yeah, there was a bunch of really good ones it came up with. So, you are with Solano Foundation, yes? You are the. Yes. Chief strategist, chief communications director, or I, the, I, the big I'm cheese? the head of strategy at the Solana Foundation, and I also oversee communications now. What does the Solana Foundation do? So the Solana Foundation is, on its head, an incredibly boring organization. We are a Swiss nonprofit software foundation dedicated to building and advancing the Solana blockchain. And this is a piece of open source code. So at the end of the day, functionally, the role we serve in the ecosystem is very similar to what the Linux Foundation serves in the ecosystem and open source software. Blockchain is, of course, its own weird, crazy thing. But at its core, we are trying to further the adoption of this thing. We're trying to make sure that the standards that are governing this thing are well established and they take into account all the needs of stakeholders in the industry and help the community figure out what the right paths forward are. So this thing is currency, right? So at the highest level... The term cryptocurrency comes from the days of Bitcoin, when the function of the digital asset was really just to be its own holder of value, right? That a U.S. dollar doesn't do anything except be a U.S. dollar. But so the the thing behind this is this idea that, and this was really pioneered by Ethereum in 2016, was that you can use a digital token for much more than just a store of value. You can actually use it to pay compute costs on a globally decentralized network. Blockchain runs a giant globally distributed computer, effectively, that anyone can run different applications and programs on. And the place where a token like Solana is still a currency is that you have to pay the compute costs and the transaction costs, and we call them gas fees, but basically you have to pay your way on the network in order to send a transaction or to validate or build a math proof, something like that. And that's the piece where what we're talking about is currency but it's more than just currency. All right, Austin. I hear boring. When I hear boring, I hear nothing to see here, which is the sinister side of boring. Nothing to see here, folks. Move along. Now, I hear Swiss. We all know it's, you know, where all of my European forebears' <laughs> money is still trapped. And, <laughs> and I hear money or currency, but not really currency. And what my brain says is lots of money. 100%. Tell me, like, when I go to, I was joking about this with Adam and Travis, I love these cassava tortillas that Whole Foods makes. And it was made by this little family and they were really good called Siete. And then all of a sudden Whole Foods was like, wait a minute, these things are selling like hotcakes. Well, they started to make their own Austin. And now they make, and, and I have to say, 
this I hate to say this to the, to the CFD family, but Whole Foods makes them better. Anyway, and they're cheaper. And I know, sorry. But here's the thing. Solana is a foundation, it's a platform, but it also is a cryptocurrency. Yes. And does that set up a conflict or is or is that just awesome? A lot of times when people hear about cryptocurrencies, the knee-jerk reaction is there's a gotcha somewhere here. And the reason for that is like most things in this like very capitalist world don't work this way. The idea that the network can be owned by all of the people who use the network and that that cannot be an extractive exploitive system, it doesn't really fit into most of our ideas of how things, especially technology platforms, are built in this modern world nowadays. So I think there's a few things to kind of like dig into there. The first is the reason it's Switzerland is because they have a much stricter nonprofit structure than we have in the United States. So in the United States, the board of a nonprofit can vote to change it from a dog shelter into an opera house if they want to. The board in Switzerland actually does not have that power at all. The incentive structure that's set up with blockchain is very different because by owning the token, you have a right to vote on governance. And yes, it's proportional voting and there's plutocracy like concerns with all of that structure. But at the end of the day, you have a vote in that, the same way you have a vote in the joint stock corporation. But the way that these things are structured, it flips the narrative on its head, that the role of the Solana Foundation is not to extract as most value as possible from the running of the Solana ecosystem. But the actual mission of the Solana code base is to drive fees as low as feasibly possible on the network to create the highest throughput transaction system you can create. And I think the really old school guys are still mad at open source software. They think it's a whole corruption of the free software movement that came before it. And I think there's a lot of there's a lot of truth to that if you look at open source software. But I think if you look, if you thought about the idea that open source software is going to be invented today, it would be crazy. Like, how much money is Linux worth? Technically, it's worth zero money, but it's also probably worth the most money of anything we've ever created in the world because everything runs on Linux. And so if there was a way to make Linux charge every Linux user even a dollar a month, it would probably be the world's most profitable company in an instant. I guess one of the uh, main things I have to ask here is whether or not that means that the benefit of Solana or even the blockchain in general is more ideological or is it more practical? The Ethereum community, to both their credit and their detriment, has been very ideologically focused since they began. Solana is definitely a more practical take on blockchains than other networks. And so by working under resource constraints and focusing on making the network as fast as possible, it's actually a much more practical and pragmatic engineering organization than you see at a lot of other blockchain foundations where they're very focused on what is the idea of what this thing could be versus like, how do we actually make this usable for developers today? And so Linux, you know, was better at solving certain kinds of problems than Windows, yeah. for instance. Linux um, definitely won out in the marketplace in terms of having a lot of better solutions, say, for a web server. The Apache web server, which yes. runs on Linux, was significantly better than Microsoft's alternative. What is it that blockchain in general and Solana in particular can do better than, say, an Amazon web server? All right, Travis, I think you're right. But also, there's a purported entrepreneurial benefit of blockchain as well. Isn't that right, Austin? This is a great question, because what it can do better is very different than what, like, Amazon or Google or some of those, those places do really well today. So, decentralized systems today are slower than centralized systems. No question about it, right? We're, when we're talking about 
cost per compute, performance, all those metrics, the centralized providers are faster. The thing that the decentralized providers like Asana or an Ethereum or any of these blockchains are able to provide is they're able to remove the trust component from the equation. And the re this is why they've caught on so much in financial applications as some of those first applications. If I have money in Chase Bank and I go to Bank of America and I say, hey, I have $20,000 in an account here. Can I get a $5,000 loan? They're going to say, absolutely not. Go talk to your bank. We won't touch you because you work your bank somewhere else. Right. With blockchain, with crypto, that same thing, I can say, hey, I have this money over here. Will you give me a loan against it? And the blockchain protocol will say, yes, absolutely, because we can establish trust between these two smart contracts, and this code can put a lock on this code that you signed a thing for, and boom, it's done. And instead of having to go back and forth and sign a bunch of paperwork and talk to humans, it's done. And so the scalability that comes from, like, smart contract revolution is as big as, like, the computing revolution was to paperwork. Because most things we've built on computers actually require a huge amount of trust and a huge amount of human intervention. And so by building these systems first and foremost on a framework where if they can't establish trust, and we call it trust, really what we're talking about is programmatic verifiability. If you can't verify something to be true, you can't do it on a blockchain. This is like a very classic example of this is like a double spend situation, right? The, if you guys like read the book or saw Catch Me If You Can, you can't run that on a blockchain. You can't just commit check fraud on a blockchain. It doesn't work that way because this, once the system is confirmed, it is permanently confirmed. There's no undo button. Now, no undo button is bad for some people, right? If you get hacked, there's no undo button. If your credit card gets hacked, there's not exactly an undo button, but your 2.5% fees you pay on all the credit card transactions or the merchants pay goes to cover fraud against you. Blockchains work on a, on a system right now of intense user responsibility. The same way that if you have cash in your wallet and you get mugged, no one's going to give you that cash back. So here's the deal. I use Yahoo Finance. I use it to make money because it works. Not just because they're a sponsor of the show. Heck, I've been using them for years before they ever called to become a sponsor. I do a lot of investing and I need to make split-second financial decisions, and that's where Yahoo Finance comes in. I trade stocks, and I trade options, and you can't trade them in a vacuum. You've got to know what's going on. Yahoo Finance gives you the opportunity to look at the whole picture. I mean, breaking news, editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts. I love the customizable charts. They have it all. At Yahoo Finance, I'm part of a community of over 90 million users. You heard me. 90 million folks use Yahoo Finance because they're helping you on your way to financial success. Visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com, yahoofinance.com. This spring, get out there, enjoy the weather, and recapture the magic of riding a bike with electric e-bike. With an amazing variety of models built for riders of all abilities, it's never been easier to fall in love with riding again. Plus, every electric e-bike ships free and only requires quick, toolless assembly. This is my first ever e-bike, and the experience has just been great. I was a little bit intimidated at first because I hadn't gone biking in a while, but the 500-watt motor that the electric e-bike comes with really gives you a nice little boost, especially if you're trying to go uphill or pick up some speed. Data shows that e-bike riders take their bike out more often. That means you get more exercise, more exploration, and wait for it, 
fresh air. And riding an e-bike isn't like, it's not cheating. It's just making it possible for you to be out there longer on each ride. And speaking of things going a little slower, you can finance electric e-bike for as little as $49 a month. Get into spring with electric e-bikes, the number one selling e-bikes in the nation. Get your adventure started at electricebikes.com. And please mention that What the Hack with Adam Levin sent you in the post-checkout survey. That's L-E-C-T-R-I-C ebikes.com. Intense responsibility. Yeah, yeah, that's the rub. Yes. It really, you know, let's then talk about this word soup, this, this techno economy that is really way beyond most people's ken and the responsibility of someone like sam bankman fried you know and ftx like okay great it's all like there it's all on the blockchain it's all seeable it's all knowable but there's a foundation there too as i recall there's like how does how does ftx happen yeah so i actually want to clarify something which is ftx is not crypto and it's not blockchain that, okay. what, that so is they, a centralized company where all of their bad debt and all of the terrible things they did actually didn't take place on the blockchain. So they it was all more like Madoff. Place. It was more Madoffian. Exactly. Yes. The analogy actually is probably Enron. So we've got a scam. If Sam hadn't pissed off the Binance guy, would this thing have unraveled as quickly as it did? I, d- I haven't seen the books. I love that Adam's like, was, was, could he have gotten away with it? I mean, the answer, <laughs> the answer there is absolutely he could have gotten yeah. away with it for a, more, for a certain period of time. And then it always catches up to people eventually. But the thing that was going on, the thing that's going on there is that if you just added a week to it, we had a good jobs report. The economy went up a little bit. Inflation was down. Stock market jumps a little bit. Maybe Bitcoin goes from twenty to twenty-five thousand, and suddenly their balance sheet's whole. No, right? but that's and that's what I'm getting at is that yeah. the penumbra, the shadow land of this new technology, is is a place that is hospitable. Let's just say to bad actors who want to use it for ill-gotten gain. I'm that's sorry, a, I would agree with you. But Every new technology is a home for scoundrels and disreputable people in its first few years. Mm-hmm. Any new form of technology is something that can be more easily and more readily exploited by people who have bad intentions. Or, and this is not like to move, like for Sam, I think it's pretty clear there that like a lot was going on that shouldn't have gone on and that they intentionally hid information from regulators and from investors and users. There are other situations with other types of firms. Hedge funds explode all the time, right? Like mom and pop hedge funds collapse all the time because they just do their math bad. They take bad bets and they just go under. And the difference there is it's usually only multimillionaires and billionaires capital that gets destroyed. And in that situation, we don't really feel that bad for them. Because let's be honest, if you could put $20 million into a fund, you're probably doing okay. I, I think the difference is here and... Look, I don't want to, this is not at all to excuse Sam and FTX. I think that what they did was horrible, but they were forced offshore by a series of U.S. regulators that were, quite frankly, not willing to create a framework that they could operate onshore. There's a lot more that could have been done. There could have been much more warnings put out by U.S. regulators saying that this is actually a problem. And that is, I think, one of the pieces here that is really difficult, is that the regulation and regulators always lag technological innovations, right? Mm-hmm. And as no one was taking 
Facebook and social media that seriously until 2016. And then suddenly everyone was like, oh man, this technology actually can be used by a foreign agent to interfere in our elections. That was not on the radar of most people who were looking at election security in 2012. Even though the Obama administration ran a very similar playbook. Totally, totally right? true. Yep. I would counter, though, that Mark Zuckerberg knew and was hyper aware. So now, before I sold everything, I had some Ethereum and some Litecoin. I also had some Tezos, and I was convinced that Tezos was the answer to all the world's problems because it could be made with less electricity. So the question I have is like, now my $200 that I put in there because I forgot about it and didn't take it out is worth $40. Yeah. I just wanted to put a marker down on the table. That's all I was doing with it to remind myself that. to do it at another point. And it obviously it tanked like everything else. I'm curious though, you're in a very unique position to give advice about to anyone who's curious about the blockchain from, an, from a financial point of view. And they want to invest, but they're worried about the scams and scoundrels. So what's your advice for that person, which would be me? Yeah, I want to say that first off, I can't give you financial advice or the lawyers will be very mad at me. But what I can say is like when you're looking at anything like this, whether it's an, a, a layer one blockchain, a layer two, a protocol token, a stock, right? The thing to think about is are the advantages that the thing touts actually defensible over a reasonable time horizon? for Tezos, it's really interesting because there's been a number of blockchains that put a ton of marketing into how green they were. And at the same time, you know, Ethereum dropped its energy footprint by 99.7%. And they have a huge carbon debt that they have to figure out how they're going to account for at some point, right, from all of the proof of work mining they've done previously. But most blockchains now are about the same energy profile as a Web2 service, right? YouTube uses astronomically more carbon than all of the blockchains yeah. combined, yeah. except no, Bitcoin. No, I'm familiar with the argument. Right. So does Instagram. Like somebody At, who's using Instagram is way more responsible for totally. the problem. That's not really exactly the argument I would be making because I think that the real tell there is not that blockchains don't use energy. It's that, holy shit, Web2 services use energy and that yeah. we need to figure out how to bring all of these things down dramatically based on the world that we hopefully want to still live in. The piece there about how do you think about these things and how do you keep yourself safe. I think the mistake that most people make is the same mistake that most people make in stock investing. They try and pick winners as opposed to finding categories of technologies that they can take a credible bet on. Netflix is a great example of this, right? Netflix stock is down like 80% from its high. I don't think we would call Netflix a scam coin. I don't think we would say that like, ah, oh, Netflix is a scam project, right? What we'd, what we'd say is that like something happened in streaming where the economics dramatically changed and Netflix maybe got the brunt of that right? Google had $100 billion wiped off their market cap when ChatGPT and Bing launched. And it's all come back at this point, right? I think that the crypto markets specifically are very immature. They're full of a lot of very impulsive people who make decisions very quickly. And they're full of a lot of professional traders who maybe some of them try and do some market manipulation sometimes. And like that stuff really needs to be accounted for and regulated. But you see this in the equities market too, at the rise of things like Robinhood. The thing that I haven't found a good theory as to why this is the case, there's the efficient market hypothesis, right? Which is the, the more information a market has and the participants in a market have, the more efficient the market will be, the, more, the better the price should reflect reality. And what we've seen with crypto is the more information you throw at people, the more volatile the market gets and the more insane the market gets. And we've actually seen this happen in equities too, right? The more retail traders are involved in the stock market, 
crazier the stock market no, is. No, and with the meme traders, I mean, you got to get into the meme traders totally. and the whole rise of GameStop. And that brings us back to a topic that we talk about a lot on this show, which is misinformation or disinformation. And the fact of the matter is we do live in a world where there's a lot of garbage data out there. And if it's presented in just the right way or not even with much thought at all, it can move great shoals of money. This GameStop situation is the craziest I think I've ever seen. We have some breaking news uh, right now on what has turned into uh, the soap opera and uh, saga of the markets right now, and that is the story of the GameStop. Stock has completely disconnected from the fundamentals. The company's fundamentals are heading uh, in the opposite direction of the stock price. In less than five years, Sam Bankman-Fried went from buying his first Bitcoin to becoming a crypto billionaire. It's not going to be good for anyone long term if we have real pain, if we have like real blowouts. And uh, and it's not fair to customers. And uh, it's not going to be good for regulation. It, like, it's not going to be good for anything. Over $150 billion. In three days, that's how much the world's 15 largest cryptocurrencies lost in market value. It's because of the crypto exchange platform FTX, which is behind this token. But Austin, let me ask you a question. Okay, so on this show, we often say that getting hacked isn't a matter of if, but when. So yes. uh, along with the advice you gave so far, is there anything unique to blockchain that lends itself to a certain type of scam that we all should be on the lookout for? Yes. So I would say there's a few different versions of how that will sometimes play out. The most devious and the most aggressive of those are the modern Nigerian prince scam, right? And so the old Nigerian prince scam where they say, oh, if you just send me $50,000, I'll be able to help you. Un you'll be able to help me unlock $20 million and I'll give it all to you or something. The there's a ton of those that go out and that's kind of just like so, a- So what do you mean though? Because the Nigerian scams are often, they're, they're, are they that silly, the kind of things that people fall are. for in, in yes. Bitcoin? Yes. What you will see is you will see there was, was a whole scam a while ago where someone would respond to like one of Elon Musk's tweets with a, like a Twitter account that looked like it was from Elon saying like, I'm giving a crypto giveaway. Send five Bitcoin here and I'll send seven back. Oh, yeah. Bill Gates. They yeah. did it. Obama. They basically yeah. got everybody. Yeah. And people fell for that stuff. And just not even thinking about how it would work. Like it's a it's an insane idea to begin with. Right. Like, mm -hmm. It appeals to the sense of greed, ultimately. Yeah. It does. But there are the real scams that are the trickiest, I think the most malicious. Kevin Rose fell for one of these, too, is you can trick people into signing transactions that do things that people don't realize they're going to do. The same way that like the, pre the payday lending companies can trick people into signing loan terms, the balloon that they don't realize are going to do that. Folks can do the same thing with transactions where a wallet, when you're going to sign it, it'll tell you what's going to happen. A lot of people don't read that. First of all, wait now, for our listeners, when yeah. you say that you're signing a wallet, what does mm -hmm. that mean? So at its most basic, a and this is an industry that has never named things. I want to just start off by apologizing for all the names that everything is in this industry. But That's okay. a wallet is your address on chain. And that when you have this thing called a seed phrase and private keys, th this is your way of accessing a lockbox on chain. And all of your stuff goes into that lockbox. The caveat there is when you're signing a transaction, you're basically authorizing something to change and to move. So the same way that you might sign into your bank and authorize it to send a check for your rent out every month or something along those lines, 
On a blockchain, you do the same thing. But you do it by way of a password? How do you do it? So if you're doing it correctly, you have a hardware wallet, which is like a ledger. This is a company in France make these things called ledgers. And that is a place where you can securely sign. And signing is really very similar to signing a document back in, in the real world where once you've got your signature on it, the document is now valid. And so the most extreme version of this is you could imagine a malicious lawyer who you think you're buying a house and he swaps the paperwork out right as you're about to sign it. And you don't realize what you're signing and you actually didn't buy a house. You bought a shed, but it still costs $400,000, right? Or you sold your old house. and you didn't Or you sold it. your actual house, right? Yeah, something like yeah. that. And you can actually, you see those scams in a lot of developing countries that don't have robust laws associated with them. But you even see them in the U.S., right? There, there's weird forms of mortgage fraud all the time where people sell houses they don't actually own to people and then just run away with all the money. That happened. And so this is the blockchain equivalent of something like that, where I might say like, oh, I'm going to try and buy this NFT. And I think I'm on OpenSea, but I'm actually on a fraudulent version of OpenSea yeah. that has mm -hmm. like a change in the URL name. And I yeah. click sign and it actually pulls everything out of my wallet. Typo squad. Now, so listen, I think what Austin's saying and, and it, and it, it, Bear saying over and over again, which is why we do a weekly show, which is, you know, no matter how savvy you are, no matter how specific your industry, no matter how careful your cybersecurity practice is, there's somebody out there who is tailor-made for your downfall. And That's why we need a daily show to remind people. No, daily. I, 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 then I, then I actually would probably start doing crystal meth. Oh, I thought we but were talking the, about John Stewart. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about weight loss. Most of us have been there, struggling with the ups and downs. You lose some weight, then it creeps back. But forget those endless cycles of juice cleanses, soup diets, and the latest fad workouts. There's a better way. The Rogue Body Program pairs a weekly weight loss shot with a real lifestyle change so you can lose weight and actually keep it off. Need support? Rogue's got you covered every step of the way. And guess what? You can do it all from the comfort of your own home. No more doctor's appointments, no more waiting rooms. It's that simple. Ready to take charge of your weight? Head over to row.co slash Adam to sign up today. Average weight loss is 15 to 20% in a year. That's with healthy lifestyle changes. BMI and other eligibility criteria apply. Go to row.co slash Adam. Sign up today and you'll pay just $99 for your first month and $145 after that. Medication costs are separate. That's ro.co slash A-D-A-M. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Rather than have me become a drug addict, I think we should stick to the weekly show. But I do think that there's something to that. Like there's somebody tailor-made yeah. for whatever your vulnerability is. And the only reason you haven't been hacked by them is because they haven't found you yet. You didn't run into them in a crowded train station yet, but you will. And and so I thought you were going to tell us something like mind-bogglingly difficult to comprehend. But in the end oh, of the no. day, you're saying it's the same stuff with funny names. 95% of the problems with blockchain are people. Mm-hmm. 
that seems to be about 99% of the problems with cybersecurity. Yeah. At the end of the day, most of these problems are human problems, not technology problems. What's the other 5%? So there are things like, so like every new technology, defense lags offense. And eventually that switches where defense actually exceeds offense. But we have these stories from the 80s of kids hacking into the DOD computers with whistles or hacking into the phone line. Yeah, Captain Crunch. Exactly, right? This stuff happened because the attack vectors were not well understood. So a great example of this is in the early days of smart contracts on blockchain and DeFi and protocols like that, you would be able to find ways to inject input where you shouldn't somewhere in the code system. And basically that means you could introduce an instruction set that, you know, you shouldn't be able to. That was what a lot of the early DeFi hacks were. They were people basically finding bugs in the code and exploiting those bugs to slowly drain funds. If you found that it always rounded up as opposed to rounding down, given enough volume of transaction, you can figure out a way to steal money with something like that. These rounding bugs were where a lot of these things came from. And then we had invented something called formal verification, right? And so formal verification is a way to mathematically prove what a smart contract is going to do. And so the work of an auditor is no longer going through every line of code and making sure there's no possible way that it could misbehave. It's instead looking at all of the inputs and all the outputs and being like, can we conceive of a way that by manipulating these inputs, oh, the program assumes all these values will be positive. What happens if we throw a negative value in? But that's a much limited surface area that you have to audit when you have something like formal verification. Now, are there like very specific people who are auditors? Like they are the auditor. (laughs) Yes, there are smart contract auditors, and that is like a huge business right now, right? The same way that there are lawyers for blockchain companies, there are software security experts that just focus on Ethereum smart contracts, just focus on Solana smart contracts. Like it's a very booming industry nowadays. Bo, there's our future there, buddy. Yeah. Yeah. Most of these things, these are mostly human problems. Very often, it's not a technology failure. When you say it's a 95% human problem, right? What what is it that 95% humans do Ah, with this? So there's two types of problems we most often see. The first is that they don't secure their private keys or the seed phrase well, Mm, which is basically like you leave your house key lying around and you don't lock your windows. That's one component. The second component is what I was talking about before, where they sign a transaction that they don't know what it's going to do, or they think it's going to do one thing and it actually does something else instead. So it's optimistic signing as opposed to realistic signing. Yeah, it's if someone sent you a text message that's, hey, your order from Target is ready to pick up, press here to pay, and you just click the button and these scams come in and text message all the time. You click Mm -hmm. button to pay and, you know, it says it's going to charge you $10 and it actually charges you $10,000. Those sorts of scams are very common everywhere and they're definitely common on blockchain as well. So we got the same old human thing. At the end of the day, it's a different industry with a different vocabulary and a different way of doing business. But the scams are all the same because human beings are all the same. Yeah. You wave a feather on a string in front of a cat and you have a pretty good idea of what it's going to do. Yeah, it's one of these things that we we sort of like forget that we're all actually animals at the end of the day. Like it's like everyone's like, oh, isn't it so cute that if you take a, you know, if you draw a circle on the ground, the cat's going to go sit in it because cats like to sit in things. Look at this animal. And you're like, uh-huh. At, people are the same way. You, you show people like 
a small group of a stimulant input and we'll all come up with basically the same idea. Let's just invest in GameStop, everybody. Get yourself a meme stock, stand in the circle and hope that it doesn't fall apart. But it will. Not to defend GameStop. Oh, they had a great CEO. The guy who came on board and took over was a genius from Chewy and all that. Yeah, like they, they were right. Like the meme guys were, they took it way too far. That It was not worth $400, but it was also not worth 12 or whatever it was trading at before. No, no, no. It was, it was absolutely a great buy when we got it and we bought it at eight. So, yeah, there you go. I mean, it was a wonderful buy. And there are so many people who will believe that it's going to go to a thousand, whatever it is, because they want to. Because, like cats, they're going to sit in that circle every single time. So, but, th- but this is the greater fool, right? Like, this is the economic theory of the greater fool. And markets don't work without a greater fool. But the whole, the whole theory behind blockchain is to kind of defoolify everything, is it not? The theory behind blockchain is we don't care at all about the price. This is the divergence here because the people who are actually building the tokens, I don't feel better about Solana at $20 than I felt at 200, but I didn't feel better at 200 than I feel at 20. The fundamental technology is price agnostic. As long as there's enough price for basic network security, like as long as there's enough price that you can't attack the network with $500, the price right. isn't actually the thing that the, those of us who are actually building it care about. The same way that like the people who buy Tesla stock, I don't know if they actually care about Tesla. They well, a bad example. They probably care about Elon. But a lot of these other types of stocks that people are buying, if my retirement fund is invested in a bunch of Apple and Microsoft stock, I really don't care about Apple or Microsoft. I just care that the fund goes up. That's it. Exactly. Mm. And so the thing about blockchain that is so annoying, but also perfect is that it strips away all of the bullshit around markets. It, it set this idea that, oh, this fine art painting is worth $60 million. Like, why? Because it's wrapped in Sotheby's and the MoMA, and there's all this pomp and circumstance around it. And it's like, we, we've convinced ourselves that like the production of a Sotheby's auction makes this piece of art worth $60 million. And then an NFT sells for $60 million. And everyone's like, Look at that stupid piece of internet art. I can't believe that idiot spent $60 million on it. And there's something about crypto where we rip away all the casing, all of the prettiness and all of the dressing up that we do about all these financial systems into something that feels incredibly raw and in your face and sometimes a little gross. But that's what everything actually is. Once you take all, once you peel the onion, you're still left with the same core. Blockchain just gets it there in a way that's actually much more fair and much more efficient. That was like a very friendly version of President Snow's speech about power. <laughs> so I'm just going to go get another white rose from the glass house and see if I, I can crush some people in District 13. Now, I... Also, if you read that book, there is a good question about who the real bad guy is. Okay, hold on now. I agree with you. Tell me now. We all know there's something delicious about the Mockingjay shooting the newly minted, pun intended, mm-hmm. President Coin and letting the crowd tear snow to death right and what happens also let's fast forward six months and see how the food supply chain is doing yeah Mm -hmm. meet the new boss it really is that who song is pretty great do people who are do you millennials know that song no okay (laughs) i love you i love you (laughs) but did you guys watch mr robot yes yeah so mr robot is such a amazing show about the dynamics of like systems of control versus systems of anarchy. And I think one of the real shames of blockchain, and I'll say this as someone who like works for a blockchain company and most of my net worth is in crypto, is I don't think it should be the national reserve currency of the United States. 
because I think that the systems of the Fed are actually very important in an interconnected economy for being able to do a little bit of steering of economic growth and keeping things under control. And you don't get that when you get to a blockchain. But a blockchain, like, it provides something very different. Like, the folks I know in Turkey and Ukraine, they're not asking themselves, do we want the full faith and credit of the United States and the FDIC insurance, or do we want Bitcoin? They're saying, do we want 80% inflation and a seven-day waiting period to get money out of a bank, or do I want to take a risk on this weird thing called cryptocurrency? And like the case for crypto is so much stronger in weak economies than in strong economies. All right, guys. Here we go. Ready? Yeah. Oh, I know this song. This song is old, so it takes forever to get going because, yeah. you know. Oh, you gotta love, this is like one of the great songs. Wasn't this on Miami Vice? No, it was on C CSI. That's it. Okay, guys. And now the podcast is flagged for copyright. Yeah, yeah I was about to say that sound you hear is uh, every uh, IP lawyer in the country. Okay, guys, now it's time for the tinfoil swan. Our paranoid takeaway to keep you safe online. Indeed. With all this talk of cryptocurrency, I just wanted to tell our listeners, should they have investments in cryptocurrency, about one of the easiest ways to protect their money and their accounts. So you know there have been crypto exchange breaches, right? And there will be more breaches if crypto doesn't go the way of the Pontiac Aztec. And here's the thing, individual accounts are being targeted. And there's also malware that looks specifically for crypto wallet addresses and actually replaces them with a different address when you copy and paste them. And yes, the Pontiac Aztec was really bad. And that's why it was Walter White's ride in Breaking Bad. Okay, so how does a malware work? If I'm trying to transfer funds into a crypto account, the malware would just send that money to somebody else entirely? Yeah, pretty much. It's called a clipboard hijacker. Wait, Travis, you didn't just name the thing that these guys are using, and I guess not just guys, but anyway, to do the crimes. So back off crimers. That, that he didn't say it so that you could go and find the malware. Heaven forbid. No, for real. As Mr. Miyagi said, the best way to avoid a punch is not to be there. So don't store your cryptocurrency online. If you have more than a few bucks in cryptocurrency, Maybe you should get a physical crypto wallet or Travis. <laughs> because Travis actually has Adam's crypto wallet. But Travis, story. please explain. Blockchain technology stores the record of your cryptocurrency online, but not the funds. So like a hardware-based wallet known as a fancy thumb drive will store your crypto <laughs> offline, especially if the Coinbase is hacked, your funds will remain safe. If Coinbase is hacked again, you <laughs> should be protected. Yeah. Leaving a lot of money of any kind, crypto or what have you, unattended online is like leaving a pie on the windowsill for a hacker. Bears can get that pie. It's the same principle as any other kind of valuable data. You want to air gap it and store it somewhere safe. And if you don't know what air gapping is, that's storing it somewhere safe. The thing to keep in mind, though, is that you just do not want to lose the device or your password or the reset codes. The nice thing about storing something online is that it's easier to recover if you lose that password or your device. 
Or if you're using Travis, you just simply call 1-800-TRAVIS. But listen, as we've seen time and time again, the bad thing about storing anything online is while it makes it easier for you to recover access to it, it also makes it possible for a criminal to discover it and, guess what, steal it. So, if you have any kind of savings in crypto, store it on an external wallet. They're not very expensive and it definitely adds an extra layer of protection against getting hacked. Or you can give it to Travis. And that's our tinfoil swan, my friends. Thanks for listening. If you like the show, please share an episode with a friend and leave a rating or a review wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps people find the show. What the Hack with Adam Levin is a production of Loud Tree Media, produced by Andrew Stephen. You can find us online at adamlevin.com and on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Adam K. Levin.